This is the European edition of Breaking Banks, the world's number one fintech podcast and radio show. We bring you the European unicorns, startups, founders, regulators and leaders innovating the rapidly evolving fintech scene today. A truly localized podcast with both English and local language content with some of the world's most well-known hosts and influencers in the fintech sector globally. Join us every week as we explore what makes the European Union a phenomenal proving ground for many of the fastest-growing fintech plays in the world today. Okay, let's roll. Hello and good afternoon here in London. My name is Ajit Tripathi. I'm your host uh, for Breaking Banks Europe, episode number 108. And today we have two very, very special guests with us. We have Kirill Kutakov, who is the CEO of StakeWise, a liquid staking uh, venture, one of the one of the most innovative ones in that space for that I know, and I've studied that space. And Marcus Maute, who is the a co-founder of Bridge Tower Capital in Switzerland, a very active you know uh, venture investor uh, himself, an angel, very active in the Web three space, and then also very active in the staking area. So thank you to our producer Renata for setting this up. Uh, so now uh, today we you know for for our fintech audience we're going to talk about something that is actually slightly involved from a technical perspective. Uh, so, you know, we'll try and really simplify it. Now, one of the things we have seen is that, you know, the whole crypto space, you know, there was a time when fintech was fintech. Fintech used to do mobile apps. And then there were all these uh, shadowy people in the garages who did uh, funky things like, you know, Bitcoin and, uh, I mean, uh, Ethereum and God knows what else, right? And when I was at PwC, one of the senior partners had told me, what is this Bitcoin thing? Isn't this just for drug dealers? And I said, do I look like one? And he wasn't very happy with that. But you know, uh, now we have come so so far. Now the biggest names in institutional finance and fintech and banking, we are all talking about crypto, and we're talking about crypto in a lot of detail. So you know, words like staking, proof of stake, uh, staking rewards, slashing, all of these terminologies have become kind of firsthand, and you can hear about them in the boardroom. You can hear about them on your owner from Revolut and the likes. So there is clearly something going on, and that's what we're going to talk about. You know how this relates to fintech. What did it? What is it? What's the big opportunity, and what do we need to know about it? And then, last but not the least, in the context of Europe in particular, where both of our guests sail from, what exactly is going on? And uh, so, so Kirill, what is staking? Right. Thank you very much, Ajit, for having me here on your podcast, and also for the introduction. Um, to put it short um, into, into plain words, staking is a, a process of participating in the network for uh, achieving consensus. So it's uh, locking up a portion of your crypto that uh, is specifically the crypto of the network in order to secure it. Um, and uh, it's essentially a bond. So once you submit it, uh, you lock up some of your uh, native crypto uh, you start participating in the validating process. And uh, if that goes smoothly, then uh, your bond, it actually grows in value. So you get um, the network uh, inflation rewards. And then if uh, your node is down and it's not securing the network properly, it's uh, offline for some reason, then you actually get some money subtracted from your bond uh, as a penalty for downtime. Uh, you basically do not uphold the promise 
uh, to the network. So um, in short, it's a way to earn money uh, quite uh, passively, uh, but also a way to uh, secure the network. Amazing. So you're providing, a, you're doing something useful and you're hopefully getting paid for it, right? Uh, which uh, which is not such a bad thing. I thought that's not something we did in crypto for a, for a few years. You know, people just bought and held and did nothing with with Bitcoin. Uh, so Marcus, uh, from a, if you were telling a banker, right, or someone who doesn't come from crypto about uh, staking, what would you add to what Kirill described, or you know, how would you sort of talk about staking uh, to a five-year-old and you know, as as somebody who used to work for a bank? That's kind of how we uh, think. Uh, it's it's an interesting question, right? You know, bringing a banker and a five-year-old in in the same sentence. It's that different, right? Yeah. yeah um, you know, first of all, you know, just a, a short add-on. You know, all these blockchains. You know, a blockchain needs software and hardware, right? So the people who are running the staking infrastructure, they are running actually the hardware for the blockchains. Um, so I think this, this synergy between hardware operators and um, the blockchains uh, from the foundations themselves, this is super important to understand. So there's always software and hardware and staking at the end, the main idea behind this inflation, which was also mentioned, is to incentivize the hardware operators to constantly produce new blocks. I think this is this is this is super important to understand. Then going to the bankers, um, you know, these validator node operators or miner, however you want to call them, they are also securing the network. So you're securing the network and on the same hand, you're also participating in the governance process. So if you as a bank or uh, as a large organization, if you want to have a seat at the table at the governance process of these blockchains, then staking is for the best way to, to participate and um, right. being so, part of it. So Bitcoin doesn't have staking, right? Uh... Uh, so not all. So so let let me just try try and simplify what you guys both said, right? Which is let's say a blockchain is a is a shared database. So now you have five guys, five computers that want to agree on what gets written to this uh, this this database. Each one of them has a copy of the database, and the way they agree on what gets written is you know because people might be you know sending bad data, right? So people might be essentially trying to rewrite this shared ledger in a way that sort of gives them more money or they might try to steal money or do funny things, which kind of don't help the trust in this shared database. Now, so what you do is you get everyone to, you know, let's say stake something, post a bond. And now that bond could be, so, you know, jokingly, uh, it could be my first bond, right? So I send my first bond to work in the field. So I'm staking, uh, probably not the best example, you know, so I, I, I give you $10,000. Uh, and then those $10,000 are the bond I'm posting. And if I do something bad, you know, like the wrong data or do not comply with the rules of the protocol of this blockchain protocol uh, algorithm, then I can get slashed. So, so I get a reward for behaving well, uh, you know, for staying connected, I have for, for all of the money if I do bad things, right? So that's kind of the, the idea of proof of stake. So this is really cool because, uh, you know, and, and why is it so important? Bitcoin, you know, works fine. It's been around 12 years, doesn't have proof of stake. Dogecoin, Elon Musk uh, loves Dogecoin, doesn't have proof of stake. So why is proof of stake such a big deal? I mean, uh, why is it so important? Marcus? Yeah, I think one of the main arguments that has been used in favor of proof of stake networks is that, uh, they are not as uh, computationally demanding, which is to say they don't require much um, 
computing power to be run. And instead, they rely on capital commitments rather than uh, computing power commitments. Um, it has a plethora of uh, environmental effects, positive, I should add, uh, to the extent where people uh, should like can can uh, uh, avoid concerns for just massive uh, energy usage, uh, like like Bitcoin does. So I think the most known proof of stake network these days is, uh, or rather, the the to become proof of stake network is Ethereum. We're in this transition process from traditional mining into staking, and uh, quite a few people have grievances about NFTs and their environmental footprint. Yeah. Well, once we do transition to proof of stake, this concern can can be mitigated entirely. Yeah, I was talking to one of you know founders of the podcast, Brett King, about his book. He just uh, released a new book called The Rise of Techno Socialism. And I suggested that if he really wants to get a lot of people excited in the crypto industry, he should you know give them NFTs. And uh, people love NFTs. So uh, even if you know, so they will certainly get interested in the book because there is an NFT behind it. And maybe the book itself can be an NFT because he signed it digitally. So, so I think uh, one of the discussions was, aren't NFTs, you know, kind of energy intensive and aren't, you know, so that there's a lot of, a lot of noise about the, you know, Bitcoin and, and proof of work in Ethereum. And I guess you're saying proof of stake because it's not that energy intensive. Uh, it's, you know, solves that problem. And that's why most of the new networks are proof of stake and Ethereum is transitioning to proof of stake. So uh, now um, what's in it for, for a bank, uh, Marcus, uh, are there any banks in Switzerland where we have seen a lot of crypto adoption using proof of stake mm. or doing something with staking? Yeah, you have to, you know, that new, the, the new crypto banks, so to call, um, Siba and Signum, they're already offering staking, mm -hmm. um, but a larger, the larger credit Swiss's Uberses and so on, you know, they have still the problem touching digital assets in general. Um, but you know, I, I think in general, staking is is way more aligned to the financial to the tr traditional financial industry than than mining. You know, mining you need a huge capex and you need to constantly buy new hardware, these ASIC devices. And um, as just mentioned, um, with staking you just need capital, so it's way more efficient. It's capital more capital efficient. And uh, also just an add-on to the to the energy concerns. In a proof of stake, it's 99.9% more energy efficient than proof of work. And this is a huge number. So it's capital efficient, it's energy efficient. And we all know um, the software is constantly uh, shipping new versions and uh, proof of stake is just the newest and best version to operate a blockchain. So uh, that, that's very interesting. So what if I'm an average user, right? Let's say I'm a customer of uh, some FinTech, what can I do with staking? I mean, what's in it for me? Uh, can I actually earn something? Can I make, can I get a return? I mean, can I generate an income with staking? Mm -hmm. So, you know, probably we need to define what a FinTech is. Um, I think the term FinTech was, is still pretty, um, um, often used, but at the end, it's just a nice UI for the traditional financial system, right? So you have a nice app or whatever, website, online banking at the end. And uh, in the background, you still have the old traditional banking system. So 
what can a fintech do with, with staking? Honestly, you need to jump into crypto and into blockchain. Um, and I think they have already a large customer base. Look at Revolut. Yeah, they can offer staking for ETH, for, for Solana, for all the other coins. Um, but I think the, the Web 3.0 movement, which is currently starting, will really disrupt the whole financial industry and not just only providing a nice UI. So, so this is something we heard from you know Brian Armstrong and uh, the Coinbase CEO and a lot of the other crypto OGs that fintech has been essentially putting uh, mobile front ends yeah. like UX on top of you know uh, Scotch tape and duct uh, legacy rails, credit yeah. card rails, Swift this and that, and it's with blockchain technology or crypto networks that we are starting to rewire the back end of financial infrastructure. I work for Aave, and you know that's one of the worst best known DeFi protocols, and that's kind of how we see DeFi as well. Uh, so, uh, so Kirill, that brings us to another question, right? So let's say I have a few Ether, uh, which is a cryptocurrency. I stake my Ether, you know, and then, then what happens? I mean, uh, what, what happens with my Ether if I, let's say, have 32 Ether and I stake them in stake-wise? Did you say that if you have 32 Ether? Yeah, if, if, you don't... if I have 32 Ether, I give them to you and I say, you know, hey, stake-wise, stake my Ether. Uh, now what happens? Yeah, um, actually, maybe taking a step back, I think one of the uh, other key advantages uh, of proof-of-stake networks is that um, it is possible to delegate your capital to someone that uh, will put it to work uh, and, and run the infrastructure on your behalf and uh, typically take either a fixed or variable commission based on your returns. And uh, one of the sort of booming businesses in uh, crypto these days is precisely this delegated stake in infrastructure. Institutions and retail investors alike um, tap uh, companies large and small, uh, you know, companies including uh, StakeWise for delegated staking. They uh, contribute capital and uh, have validators created on their behalf. Oftentimes, uh, because such services accept deposits from uh, people at large, they are able to not uh, simply run uh, like a dedicated node. Uh, they are often uh, able to pull different like funds from different users together in order to create what essentially are shared nodes and therefore lower the barrier um, into staking. So with Ethereum specifically, in your example, if someone were to contribute 32 ETH for stakewise, uh, we would be able to you know, uh, do two different things uh, depending on the user's demand. One possibility would be to create a dedicated node for them. And uh, that would essentially be the end of story. They would pay a fixed commission per month and uh, receive all of their rewards uh, from that validator. Uh, and of course, be, be able to withdraw the funds when uh, it is technically possible. Uh, but uh, another route they could take is, uh, is, is go into the staking pool, which is essentially an aggregation of all the deposits uh, that are also tokenized in order to make sure uh, this capital is not sitting dormant. And uh, I mean, not, not dormant, this capital is um, utilized uh, while it's also earning ether. Uh, it can be utilized elsewhere, including protocols like Aave. So, so I think those are two very important points, right? One is if I want to stake Ether on my own, then to, to run a, a node or a validator, which is essentially like a, a node on the blockchain, a computer that is a, can be a validator, I need 32 ETH minimum, which is uh, 100,000, well, uh, 128,000 uh, today. 
now not everyone can afford that kind of you know uh, investment in a, in a in a blockchain protocol so 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 what you're saying is uh, pooling uh, essentially users can essentially pool their assets and then you can even do that with a thousand dollars or something like that which a lot of people can afford and that's that's really i think democratizing that's a really really good idea so the idea of staking pools and the second thing is uh, if i lock my ether in in a stay in in a staking pool then then those ether are gone forever i can't do anything with those uh, you know until until let's say ethereum goes live and i'm allowed to withdraw my ether which is another i think 6 months minimum uh, so 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 liquid staking is kind of the big word uh, and liquid staking is the idea that you know i i stake my ether or another polka dot or something and then i get a token and that that token is something i can you know move around transfer to someone uh, or use in use in very interesting ways in in defi or another other pro- protocol so marcus uh, on the institutional side right i mean why is this why are these two uh, or rather in particular why is this idea of liquid staking where you have where you stake your crypto but also have liquidity so important you know again it's it's uh, staking is super efficient yeah uh, but you're locking capital so you know if ethereum is having a i don't know a 100 billion market capitalization and 70% is staked then 70% of the whole <laughs> um wealth of this network is simply not used so the possibility of creating synthetic products or derivatives however you want to call that based on these staked tokens is enabling again financial products and making this 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 uh, assets efficient and productive and um i think this we will see it for sure the only yeah and i mentioned it right synthetic derivatives um there are a lot of question marks lately read in the uk or somewhere else about these financial products um so i think we need clarity on that side plus we need clarity on the kyc or kyb element of the people who are staking and staking to a stake pool and um so if we have some elements of forensics kyc's in place plus uh we have um legal clarity on synthetics and derivatives i think then it's very it ha- it will happen overnight that liquid right. staking will be one of the dominant players or dominant asset classes in the whole crypto market so i'm glad you brought that up you know i was we were watching this uh, uh, this uh, this congressional hearing uh, yesterday with uh, elizabeth warren and Uh, in a few other senior us uh, legislators saying some very interesting things and the week before we had a really positive hearing in the in the us uh, congress which was uh, actually quite a bit more positive right so i think there is quite a bit of uh, clarity or lack of clarity around because a lot of this stuff is so new and has grown so rapidly in the last two two years uh, you know from essentially a base of a few billion here or there to almost a 3 trillion uh, out of which about a trillion and a half is essentially staking right so so the market has grown extremely extremely quickly and that's i think obviously creating some excitement so so switzerland i've seen some pretty big names right i've seen siba signum bitcoin swiss you name it there are some pretty big names over there and it's also a very favorable environment in europe for uh, you know for for crypto and web3 businesses so what's the general approach of the regulator to uh, staking uh, with regards to let's say you know uh, aml and kyc securities laws and mm-hmm. and any other financial stability considerations so, you know switzerland 
traditionally Switzerland is managing 25% of the global wealth. And as I think Switzerland was very smart and um, forward-looking by, by really jumping into this digital asset industry. And with all the new laws now in place, I think we have clarity. So we really know how staking is taxed. Could it be better? For sure. Ah, tax. Uh, there's always tax, right? Yeah, uh, there's always tax. But you know that, <laughs> Even in Switzerland. Yeah, yeah. But you know, there's a, they really defined now that staking rewards are more or less interest. And they are interest. And this is, this is coming back to uh, the general discussion currently. You know, crypto was trying to invent some new terms like staking rewards to hide that it's just an interest rate. Um, but, you know, if, if we now want to close the gap with the regulators again, I think we just need to name it, name what it is. It's an interest period and you need to pay taxes on that and the rest is capital gains. Um, so we have clarity here in Switzerland what staking is. And for international investors who want to stake, this is a clear plus. So as Switzerland was managing 25% of the traditional wealth, I'm pretty sure Switzerland will play also a major role in yeah. managing digital assets. Absolutely. And uh, so Kirill, you, me, Renata, we'll all move to Switzerland soon. But <laughs> on that happy note, you know, we'll uh, take right a short break and come right back in, in, a, in, a, in a minute or so. Thank you. Do you want to be part of Breaking Banks Europe? Reach out and learn more about the opportunity to be featured in one of our shows. With over 1.6 million listeners and counting, Breaking Banks Europe is bound to become the place to advance critical dialogue in Europe and the UK fintech scene. Reach out on Instagram or Twitter at Breaking Banks EU or go to www.provoke.fm. Hello and welcome back uh, to this uh, to the 108th episode of Breaking Banks Europe. Today we are talking about staking, and you know staking is a really really big deal. It's a, at least a trillion point five uh, industry by value as of today, and uh, you know most of the the crypto networks now run proof of stake. And for a year or so, we've seen the integration of fintech and crypto, with even the you know noises about potentially Revolut, the biggest fintech in Europe, uh, potentially launching a token. So, so, so uh, I will we'll ask our guests a little bit more about the regulatory and tax side of this. So, Marcus, let's say I'm staking my, you know, uh, polka dot or Solana, and I generate an income, right? So, I get some Solana or Terra or another token as a reward. How is this taxed exactly? Do I pay an income tax on this, or how does this work? So, um, I'm not a tax lawyer, right? Uh, you got to so be careful. Always a, a clear disclaimer upfront. But at the end, staking rewards are interest, and you need to pay taxes on that. It's like income. It's income, yeah. And the underlying, you know, if you buy Sol or um, Dot Polkadot, um, and they are appreciating in value, then it's capital gain. But the staking reward itself is interest, so it's income. And to be really frank, it's getting really complicated if you're constantly redelegating. Um, so, you know, just as a hint for everybody, try to track it when you are claiming your rewards and redelegating, because these are taxable events. Yeah, yeah. So, so there's a big opportunity in trading in a better tax software that kind of handles a lot of these things automatically. And I think there are a few tax softwares out there that are trying to do that. But I know some friends, you know, being in crypto for so long, who just sit back and generate 
more than a living staking income. You know, mm-hmm. so they've kind of hold a few protocol tokens and and they can basically retire on staking income at least as long as we have this wonderful bullish market environment. Uh, then after that, maybe they will come back to work in a bank. But moving on swiftly from that, <laughs> so 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 Kirill, where are you based, and uh, you know how do you see the as an entrepreneur, right? As as a as a builder in the in the in the in this liquid staking space. Uh, what are you? What do you? What would you like to see in Europe? As in, how uh, can Europe help you be more competitive and scale? And how do you see the business environment in Europe, in particular, for yourself? Yeah, um, I think it is a good question and uh, one that I'm uh, only able to answer with with the knowledge that I gathered from our conversations with lawyers and and different parties in in the space. So uh, obviously Switzerland is leading the pack uh, in on, on the European continent uh, with respect to clarity about uh, the different regulations of crypto businesses and the, uh, with with the transparency that it offers. I think uh, it's attracting more and more uh, sort of uh, successful projects and the uh, projects that uh, you know are looking to do everything by the book. Uh, in order to um, make sure they, they quickly solve their regulatory question for themselves uh, from the very beginning. Um, the alternatives to that uh, have been actually Estonia. So this is where we have our development company, but not necessarily the uh, service company which offers services because uh, the rules on staking, especially when it comes to the topic of custody, are not as clear. and uh, in order to avoid essentially any doubt, um, we we personally have not taken the risk of uh, setting up the service com- services company here. Um, maybe for um, just just like a, taking a step back, the, the custody aspect uh, can come into play when you are delegating your capital to others that run the infrastructure for you. Um, sometimes this capital these capital flows are handled by smart contracts which in general in crypto is considered non-custodial because uh, nothing but a smart contract can, can access those funds. But uh, for um, like certain periods of time, such solutions were not possible. So uh, essentially, these services relied on um, providers taking custody of users' funds, which in our case, uh, we, we avoided uh, from the beginning. Um, and, but then again, for for just avoidance of doubt, uh, we set up our company elsewhere. Um, other than that, I see that uh, you know there, there are, there are um, different um, processes happening in uh, in, in uh, Cyprus, mm-hmm. uh, and also I think um, okay in, in in other European countries, uh, especially Portugal, uh, with its uh, really friendly uh, tax position. Uh, on crypto, but uh, right. for staking specifically as, as as like a service to be run, then uh, it, it's still there. There are still many questions that remain unanswered with respect to income. It's becoming uh, more or less clear. So, uh, so, uh, so let's uh, you know most of our audience is fintech or banking. Let's say you know there is a fintech, uh, hypothetically Ziglu, Revolut, any one of the you know the major fintechs, and they want to offer 
uh, staking income to their customers, right? Uh, now, the way we currently are in the economy, the interest rates are nearly zero. If you're in Switzerland, then I think sometimes they are less than zero, Marcus. My apologies for bringing out this painful topic. Uh, so, so it's very hard for you know users to earn a, any sort of a yield, and the wealth is going down while interest rates are. Uh, you know, interest rates are low, but inflation is quite high. So you're earning nothing and you're losing money to inflation. So let's say the FinTech wants to offer a staking income to their customers. Uh, and you are the experts in tech, right? So you are the experts in tech and infrastructure. You kind of know how to run this type of complicated infrastructure. Whereas, you know, the FinTechs are great at building the front ends, you know, um, all this embedded API stuff and really serving their customers. What can, uh, what can they do? What can they do with you guys today? Yeah, uh, so I think it's a good question. And uh, a big component of uh, what they can do comes down to um, how do they handle customers' funds on their end? Because essentially they become the intermediary between us and the, and, and, and the user. So, so do you take custody of uh, user funds or how does that work? We, we don't, um, but uh, if, if FinTech can prefer to run uh, this type of service in two different ways, one, they can take custody of users' funds and essentially have an internal ledger uh, so that uh, they would always sort of handle these funds for, for users. And uh, you know this simpli considerably simplifies uh, the onboarding process because um, you don't, you, you likely won't need any additional checks. They are the experts in clients. They do all the KYC, AML, legal contracts. Terms yeah, and the moment you join, uh, the moment you join their service, and and the rest is essentially taken care of on on their back end and by their legal team. Yeah. Uh, but uh, if they do prefer to be just the interface, so essentially a tool for you to manage your crypto in a non-custodial way then uh, I guess it comes with an additional burden of making sure you have the proper security uh, processes in mind, like keeping your mnemonic secure and uh, not sharing it with others, making sure you uh, like account for the cost of transactions on the various networks, because when you do non-custodial like non things, um, it quickly <laughs> adds up in terms of uh, network costs um, yeah. to do transactions. Yeah, no, I've and, seen some you know, good examples from, I think, apps like Swissburg in Switzerland, and there is a Yield.app. There are some very interesting apps that I think people are building, which allow users to sort of earn a staking income. And, you know, those guys are moving into the fintech space with their, uh, with getting the right registrations and licensing and things like that, while at the same time, some of the traditional fintechs are starting to think about these services. So, Marcus, how do you position you, yourself in that space, hmm. in that um, value chain? You know, we really think that in a couple of months, maybe it's a year or two years, um, these, these fintechs, they will not offer ETH or SOL or DOT or something else. They will already offer staked tokens. Because it's, you know, if you're a fintech and you have your clients, these clients are not using it as a gas fee to, to do whatever kind of transactions on a blockchain. So it's really just um, an investment product. So we are a strong believer that um, st already staked utility tokens will be the number one asset class in the future. And these already staked utility tokens, they can also be treated as securities. So this is currently at, um, a road we are exploring very heavily to offer, we're calling them um, liquid staking securities. 
mm-hmm. because it's at the end a fungible element. You can trade it, you can do whatever, but it's a financial product. But it's a staked utility. You trade. said securities. Yeah, that's uh, sometimes uh, that's a loaded word in some parts of the world, especially the U.S. So, yeah. so it does, are you saying the Swiss law treats uh, liquid staking uh, tokens as securities? At the end, it's a derivative. At the end, um, so you can argue, and you know, with a no, lot what, of questions about the legal that treatment. That's that's a very specific question, right? So, what's yeah. the what's the prevailing legal treatment? So it's, I don't know. Honestly, I can't tell you here in Switzerland. Right, right. No, we don't know. Thank but that, that's a potential issue to think about, right? So you do need a decent uh, compliance team that kind of studies these issues and, and a good lawyer who kind of studies these issues. But then if you kind of get that right, then it's a $1.5 trillion market. So you can offer a very useful service to your customers. Then, you know, so one of the things I will say, you know, I've been in the space for five and a half years now. Wallets, crypto wallets are an utter pain. You know, so 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 there are lots of NFT influencers who are worth 50, 100 million right now on Twitter, and they're losing, they're sending their seed phrases. I mean, they're essentially sending their private keys across to people on Discord. So so the, the security part of crypto is really hard and it's really painful. Wallets are really clunky. One of the things that I think fintech can really do is simplify, right? Make the user experience of Web3 protocols and crypto really, really easy. And then, you know, to, to quote uh, the, the former Goldman Sachs CEO, it's, it's like doing God's work, right? I mean, you're really helping the consumer uh, get access to, to, to a whole new area of opportunity. So, so, so there is clearly a value play here in terms of fintech working with crypto, right? And then the infrastructure players like yourself. So, uh, so and, and you really, really well said, Marcus, that, you know, the user may not want to deal with, you know, the details of Solana or Cosmos or whatever else is there. And they just want to see uh, deposit $100, get $105 or $110, right? I mean, that's it. That's it. And they need, they know what the risk is, how they're, so this becomes like an asset management or a wealth play. Uh, and a fintech play from a user perspective, which is really powerful. And then, uh, so so uh, so, how far are we in terms of you know? Have you seen any major fintechs make a move in this space? Uh, I think we will see in Q1 the first um, funds offering staked assets or staked utility tokens. I think this will happen. Um, but otherwise, we're really at the beginning. Um, okay. All dimensions. I think on the technical side, we are really advancing and. Um, you know, we will see more and more staking pools because, as we just said, you know, staking is complicated. Um, and I think we will see staking pools where you have simpler interfaces. Yeah, surely staking is not as complicated and then, you know, compared to all the paper we move around in banks and getting a mortgage. Uh, <laughs> I mean, even opening a business account with, with some of the UK banks is, is far more painful than anything I've done in staking. So, so, so yeah, I think if fintech can really simplify it and yeah. make it far more secure. I think it, uh, my personal final vision is we will see a merge of NFTs, which are interest-bearing tokens and different kind of underlying strategies, be it staking, be it DeFi, be it liquidity mining, whatever. Mm-hmm. And just this graphical representation of an, an, an NFT, you know, sometimes it's green, sometimes it's blue, sometimes it's red. It's right. indicating different interest so rates. An NFT for our audience is a non-fungible token, which is a way of saying, you know, non-fungible means that 
if you have two tokens, then they're you know they're very distinct and unique. Uh, so each token represents an object that's very unique, right? So if it's a different, uh, so the NFT, whereas fungible tokens are like cash, as in you or stocks. You know, once whether you have stock number one or stock number two, as long as or a ten pound bill or a, a different ten pound bill, it's still the same thing. So that's fungible. If uh, if the tokens are non fungible, that means you know it's a Picasso, a Picasso. You know, Picasso's each each of Picasso's paintings is a different NFT. And it's very unique. It's uh, you know, and so on and so forth. So NFTs have kind of taken the world by storm because using blockchains, you can essentially represent digital objects like JPEGs, right? Like uh, like a photo of your child or or a photo of uh, Elon Musk's dog uh, as an NFT. Uh, so so NFTs are you know, have kind of taken the world by storm, and there are lots of different applications in IP, property rights, digital art, generative art. Uh, so on and so forth. So, and you know, a lot of securities are also NFTs. So, we'll see a lot of applications in the financial industry, and we'll do a whole other episode on that at some point. So, Marcus, thank you for you know dropping that, and then a couple of other terms: uh, liquidity mining, which uh, we'll ex explain on another episode. One of the th the good things about crypto is you know that the terminology we can just impress people at parties with just the the, the fantastic terms we throw around. Uh, but hey, we gotta we gotta do something at parties, right? So so Kirill, on on that on that happy note, uh, so where are you in your journey as a as an entrepreneur as a startup in this in this space right now? Yeah, um, I think citing volumes uh, on the permissionless side, which is to say uh, on the side where no QAC checks are performed, uh, and the, I guess it's really part of the crypto's ethos, at least in DeFi. Uh, we have a volume of uh, over 42,000 ETH staked with us. So at the current prices, wow, I think it is a little over $160 million. Uh -huh. um, and you haven't been around that long. So you got to uh, that number in what, six months? Uh, a little over that, yes. Um, but uh, again, I think, uh, I know there are a couple of uh, things on our roadmap that uh, will further boost this number. And uh, we're quite excited about the market growth in general. So it certainly is a good place to be in. Now, with respect to um, collaborations with fintechs and uh, other companies, perhaps to put them in this regulated bucket, um, there are quite a few things that we're working on ourselves. Uh, and uh, really, when, when, when Marcus is bringing up uh, liquid staking securities. I do think that a, a key question for many of these products will be how to ensure liquidity in a compliant manner uh, for these types of assets. Because um, in order to make sure that, uh, at least from our perspective, um, we would want to build a product that uh, makes sure customers' funds are only interacting with the other uh, assets that, that come from known counterparties. And for that, you cannot really tap into the permissionless side with permissioned product. You need to have like a separate sandbox of its own. And uh, whether this is ensured by having a capital reserve by the service provider, or this is solved with the market makers on the permission side, or maybe there's another solution like permissioned uh, liquidity pools, we will see. But uh, yeah, the key part of the equation uh, for us is solving for this. And uh, once this is unlocked, uh, the potential is uh, truly limitless. Right, right, right. I, th I think, you know, uh, so we also kind of see ourselves as software providers whose software is used to enable infrastructure and we as an DeFi protocols. Uh, so, so so obviously on, on top of the rails we are building, whether it's taking you know, the, uh, or, or sort of other DeFi 
protocols, then the decentralized finance, then I think fintechs will essentially provide all of those bridges. That's kind of the working you know, uh, assumption or the, the mental model in the industry. And I think it makes a lot of sense. So, so uh, what's the, uh, so what's uh, what's the what's the next step of the for the evolution? As in, what uh, what needs to happen in Europe? How can let's say policymakers or regulators uh, make it relatively safe for consumers, but also kind of help? You know, in in Europe, you know, we have a history of regulating before we actually innovate. And uh, I mean, I'm not counting Switzerland in that, but uh, how do we sort of you know? And I'm seeing so much noise in. Europe around regulation, right? Mika, this and that, and uh, how do we sort of, what sort of policy environment can we create uh, to, to to create consumer safety, but also you know make sure that we remain very competitive in this space because this seems like a big industry. And I, I saw T-Mobile make an announcement about potentially doing staking. So clearly something is there. Now, what do we need from policymakers? You know, first of all, it's interest, right? And I think the interest is there. I think the interest to learn and to understand the space is clearly there. And the second thing, which is just fund fundamentally, is um, providing freedom for innovation, as you just said. I think it's, it's and a lot of policymakers and a lot of um, regulators, governments, they realize it's, it's also kind of a, a race, a competition. You do not want to lose this new internet um, phase at the end, you, you know, a lot of uh, countries lost the first internet or the second and the first one. Um, so you do not want to lose and fall behind any further. So, and I think this is something we are realizing. They know that there's something coming, which is super powerful and they want to be part of it. Um, and to be concrete, what do we need? I think it's the dialogue. We see it in the US pretty strongly, the dialogue between the, the industry and the regulators at the end to understand more what's going on and how they can support. It's a very general answer, but um, that's the case. Yeah, I'll have to echo the sentiment, uh, making sure that we don't stifle innovation, but uh, also make sure we protect the consumer. I mean, it's it requires striking the right balance and it only can be achieved through um, two-sided communication. I, I think that that's absolutely the case. So have you had any, let's say, policy institutions reach out to you and say, hey guys, uh, or, you know, we want to learn more about it and you know, we want to understand how this thing actually works or have you been just hearing the, the news from media about uh, where Europe is going with this? So I think the focus is currently very much on um, Bitcoin itself, right? A little bit Ethereum, the migration to, to Ethereum 2.0 is yeah, at least six months um, down the road. Um, so staking in general is not as much on the agenda at the moment than a fundamental understanding of digital assets. So so I think the so so we need to do more in terms of education, right? Because I think when people think about digital assets and you know they're, they're thinking bitcoin or they're hearing shiba inu from in the news or some you know random uh, bad news but they're not really seeing the, the the industrial scale innovation on the internet that that's now going on so so clearly there is something to do and hopefully our episode here will kind of you know drive uh, a little bit of a better understanding 
of that space. Now, let's say I'm a, you know, it's the last question on this is, uh, I'm, I'm an average citizen of, you know, one of the countries in Europe. I mean, and I'm wondering what's going on with my pension and my wealth now. What's the best way I can learn about uh, staking and how it can help me generate wealth for myself and I'll find the services myself, right? So what's the best way to get started? Yeah, um, well, it's quite simple. You should Google StakeWise and uh, <laughs> into the rabbit hole. Uh, but uh, if, if, we're if we're serious here, I do think that uh, it's important to understand how staking and proof of stake networks work. Uh, first and foremost, um, like making sure that you understand uh, all the risks and uh, the potential returns when you go into this uh, is important before making the investment decision. So I think the best resources to learn about this uh, on the Ethereum side specifically is to make sure you, you go through the detailed explanations on the Ethereum Foundation's website. But other than that, there are a handful of communities that are very welcoming uh, for the newcomers uh, on the internet and you know Twitter, Reddit, and uh, you know staking pools communities as well, like Stakewise, Rocket Pool, a few others uh, that uh, are always uh, willing to answer people's questions, you know, related to any aspect of staking in a, a pretty candid manner. Um, so. Any type of interest is always welcome in these, and uh, we'll, we'll make sure to give you the best information possible. Amazing. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. I think as entrepreneurs and you know innovators, it's our it's our role to educate and share what we know, and hopefully translate it. And you know, and and hopefully when we go to parties, uh, explain the terms we use, uh, which is what we've tried to do on this particular party, our wonderful episode 108 of Breaking Banks Europe. Uh, you know, for, for a while, we have tried to impress people, uh, but I think now with people like, you know, yourself, Kirill and Marcus, who kind of are very connected to the main street, we are starting to explain the terms and, you know, kind of really have a much more grown-up conversation with, with policy, with, uh, you know, with fintechs, with the mainstream financial services about where the opportunity is in this space. And I really thank you for, you know, helping our audience and uh, the European fintech community. And the global fintech community really understand what this is, what's going on, where the opportunity is, and uh, where can they, so Kirill, uh, where can people find you on social media, you personally? Um, personally, actually, I don't have social media. Um, oh, Stakewise really consumes uh, a lot of time, so I, I, I ditched all of that. I think the only social media profile I have to date is LinkedIn, so I'm, I'm happy to field any questions and... Uh, um like assisting on, on linkedin so stakewise underscore io is your twitter handle <laughs> yeah pretty much okay. it is and marcus you where do where do people find you and i need to confess i'm pretty active lately on twitter I know um, <laughs> <laughs> so you know it's telegram twitter linkedin um marcus Marte, um reach out to me super happy to to chat and, and um explore further opportunities um you know, just the last word from my from our side of my side. Um, you know, this is the best macro hedge you can have is technology, and uh, digital assets and crypto is currently the the biggest technology movement of all times. So I think we will see a lot of asset inflow in the future. This has been really awesome. I think thank you so much for joining me on this. Yeah, slightly complicated, slightly involved topic and really making it easy and relevant for fintech and also for the average consumer and policy 
really, really thankful for that and uh, hope to see you again on one of our future episodes around the Web3 uh, crypto decentralized finance space. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you, Ajit. Thank you, Marcus. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Breaking Banks Europe, a Provoke Media podcast in cooperation with Fintech Stage. Don't forget to tweet us out, shout out, or post to the team at Breaking Banks EU on Twitter. If there's something or someone you'd like to hear on our cast, let us know. See you next week on Breaking Banks Europe.